Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm your host. And today on the show, we have got uh, Mo and Tana Ottinger uh, here to talk about the ideal response, which in the world of uh, ETC, kind of connected parenting, and uh, TBRI is one of the uh, correcting principles. And so you're going to hear uh, talk throughout all of these different um, ideas of empowering, connecting, and correcting. Those are kind of the three tenets of TBRI, uh, connected parenting just in general. And so uh, today we talk about the ideal response. And so what we wanted to do was uh, we wanted to play um, an old video uh, that we've got on our YouTube page of Dr. Karen Purvis walking through what the ideal response is, talking through levels of engagement, talking about uh, being able to catch things low. You're going to hear her talk about and describe the idea and the science behind it. And then Mo, Tana, and I jump on to uh, dive a little bit deeper into each of the different principles laid out in the ideal response. It's an acronym, obviously. And so uh, what you'll hear first is the the, uh, YouTube audio You'll hear the audio first from Dr. Purvis as she walks through the ideal response. And then afterward, you'll hear Mo and Tana and I uh, jump on to talk through the ideal response in uh, a little bit further detail. So hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Without any further ado, the late, great Dr. Karen Purvis. We've developed in our work an acronym to guide parents. It's the ideal response for discipline. I stands for immediate D stands for direct. E stands for efficient. A stands for action-based. And L stands for leveled at behavior, not at the child. So ideal, I, immediate. We know that if you respond to a child's behavior, good or negative behavior, within three seconds, they will learn. So when the child does something good and you say wow that was nice using good your words or that was such a good show and respect or wow I love it when you look at me with those beautiful blue eyes when we do that within three seconds or when a child needs to be redirected and they say something harsh and we say well let's try it again if we say it immediately we know from brain research a child will learn if we do it direct we ask parents to be within three feet of your children that's where I could reach out and touch my child So direct means that when I talk to my child and I say, tell me about your day, I'm going to be my body poised towards their body and my eyes and my full attention to them. I am fully present to that child and I'm asking them to be present to me. My eyes are there for them. I might reach and touch their shoulder. That child's going to connect to me. Also, when I need to redirect a child or correct a child or even discipline a child, I may say, give me two hands. Now, do you want to try that with respect? I'm not going to lob words at the child. Hey, go make your bed. Hey, stop doing that. I'm going to go to the child or bring the child to myself. And I'm going to be immediate and direct. I'm going to be efficient. We have a lot of parents who are going after a mosquito with an elephant gun. So the child does something something minor and the parent overreacts or reacts too harshly. And so what we say is be efficient, and we actually use what we call levels of response. And so we have four levels of response. And a low-level response, the child might say, I'm not doing that. 
And you might say to the child, are you asking me or telling me? Oh, could I please not do that? Okay, that was good asking. So I could use playful engagement redirect a child most of the time. And then if a child moves on into, well, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to do that. And I might use choices. Sweetheart, you've got two choices. Now, again, I'm immediate and direct. You've got two choices. You can either color with the pencils or color with the crayons, but you can't use the markers if that was what the child was saying, for example. So I might use choices. Then I might use compromises. And actually, in terms of being efficient, some parents find it's counterintuitive because something that we do, a, par a, a child might say, um, you're stupid and you're ugly and I hate you and I'm not going to the library. Or I'm not going to bed. And they've just done all this mouthy stuff. Well, they look like a pretty high challenge. I'd call that a level three challenge. But I might be able to meet that level three challenge without starting a nuclear race. I might be able to say, if you're asking for a compromise, try it again and give me good words. And the parent will say, well, why would you give that kid that was mouthy a compromise? And I would say, because my goal is to give that child voice and to connect with them and to do shared problem solving with them. So the child might go like, Okay, could I please not go to the library? It's really boring. Well, sure, that was good using your words. Thanks for using those good words with me. In every case, I've been efficient. I haven't used force. I don't need force. I have relationship. So our, our discipline style on the ideal response is immediate, direct, efficient, action-based. We know from brain research that there's something called a sensory neuromotor loop. What it just means in common terms is if I do the thing I heard about, I have a, a body memory for it. And so when a child does the wrong thing, they have a body memory for the wrong thing. And my goal as a person who wants to connect and empower my child, I want to give my child the body memory for the right thing. So when a child, if I've got something in my hand and a child grabs a pencil out of my hand, I say, whoa, stop. Put that back here now. Now my voice may change, my demeanor will change, my words get slower. I am no nonsense about this kind of behavior. I'm not permissive about bad behavior. But I have a goal to reconnect and to guide this child to empower them. And so I say to that child, put it here, now. Now I don't take it back from them. I want them to have body memory to give it to me. So I say, here, now. And if the child resists, I might wait. I'm counting to myself because I know my children are slower to respond because their brains are different. So inside I'm going one, two, three, here, now. And so I'm slower in my voice, a little bit louder, a little bit lower in my tone. And my, and my cadence is slowed. And the child puts that in my hand. Now I'll say, thank you. Now, do you want my pencil? If the child says yes, I'll say, Give me good words and ask for it. And they'll say, Mom, can I use the pencil? Or Miss Karen, can I use the pencil? Whatever child it is. I'll say, of course you can. That was great asking. Here you go. Give me five. Now, that child has the, the motor memory for doing the right thing. And now, the path that was to the right thing. Now, when we start out, and I just have to be honest, I, I understand with the parents, the path to the, to the negative behavior might be an eight-lane freeway. And the path to the behavior you want might be a little machete 
chopped jungle vine bridge somewhere in the dense forest. But every time my child practices with me, action-based practice with me, they chop away some more vine and this little jungle path can also become a freeway. And the last thing in our ideal response is clearly leveled at behavior, not at the child. So when it's over, I want three things. I want the behavior to be changed or corrected. I want the child to be more connected to me than they were before. And I want the child to be content because they succeeded. And I know that I'll be content because I helped them. Well, Mo and Tana and I are here, and now we're going to talk about uh, what you guys just heard, which is uh, the greatest, Karen Purvis, uh, talking us through the ideal response. And so, uh, Mo and Tana, why, why don't we kind of start with the, the whole premise of this response? Because I think for uh, anyone listening from a traditional parenting paradigm, this, this causes some pump the brakes, kind of record scratching, you know, stopping moments. So why don't we talk through this as a foundational principle, and then we can kind of dive deeper into some of the, the individual principles. Yeah, sure. So thinking about based relational intervention um, has three primary principles, um, connecting, empowering, and correcting. So when we think about the overarching goal of trust-based relational intervention or TBRI, we think about them through those three principles, connecting, empowering, and correcting. So the ideal response, which is what Dr. Purvis, you know, explained in that video, falls under the category of the correcting principle. So our goal always, and she said this, is always, always to build connection and trust with our kids. Um, And there are times that we are doing that proactively, and then there are times that we actually do need to address behavior. And so we, when we address behavior, are using, um, like, laying a foundation and using strategies that even in the midst of behavioral correction are building trust and changing behavior along in the long term. We don't want to just have children stop behavior. We want to actually replace that behavior with a desired outcome so that we teach them. um, And she, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more in in a bit. And she alluded to it. So when we're thinking about the ideal response, we're thinking about that underneath our correcting principles. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the ideal response for correction. Well, let's start, let's, let's kind of dive a little deeper into the I. So that, that immediate piece for, uh, for some of us, uh, hand up myself being one of them is so hard. It is, it is one of the great pet peeves of my life to watch a behavior happening when I'm, you know, across the room or when I'm in another conversation. And I know I've got to go address that right now. If I have any hope of getting the ship back on course without there being a lot of turmoil. And yet it is so hard to do that sometimes. Uh, and I'll say this in the Mo, I'd love to hear your thoughts. The thing that stood out that I, that I tend to forget is that, uh, that principle of being immediate and the three seconds or less deal is not just kind of for everyone's benefit or just to kind of think about it. It's a nice idea. I mean, it's a scientifically backed 
principle that if we will respond within three seconds, there's a, there's a direct, you know, neuroscience correlation that tells us that that's the most effective time and manner in which to correct it. Um, and that, that's one of the hardest things for me traditionally. What, what do you think about that, Mo? Well, and it, you know, it's correcting and, you know, I loved, she said praise and the redirection, right? Yeah. So it's, it's both and it's, it's, it's being able to praise them when they have done something um, uh, great and you want to, you want to teach them. And, and yeah, exactly. JD, just the, it's the mindset of man. It's within those three seconds that I am teaching that it, this is about the brain yeah. and this is optimal time to teach. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think about like, uh, you know, those, those those times when things are going on in the home and 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 one parent would say, "Well, you just wait till dad gets home to deal with this," or yeah. you know, or you wait till mom gets home in six hours and we're going right. to deal with this, right? right? Like that. It, this kind of takes that and mm-hmm. and kind of just throws it out the window yeah. and says, you know, this is. One for if you know if you are co-parenting, it it's it's not one parent is needing to do the you know I'll do all the praising and, and you be the, <laughs> I'll be the nurture yeah we're gonna, the, we're gonna have the you know we have the bad cop the structure the you know all yeah. the all that it's it, everybody needs to be on their their game of of realizing we have this unbelievable opportunity and privilege to to um praise and redirect our children and that needs to happen mm-hmm. quickly and you're right though it means you know <laughs> the exalting part of it it means yeah. you're on yeah and mm-hmm. and uh that, that means you're on, <laughs> you're, you know, you're sitting on that couch and you're like, Oh, I need right. to, which will lead to the next one, the direct piece. Yeah. You know, if I can just go into the direct piece, oh, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's, it's not, it's not lobbing, uh, the, 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 the screams across the house. <laughs> right. Like just right. the, like I mean, Dr. Purvis said it, it's, it's being fully present with your child in that moment. So that child can be fully present with you. It's, you know, if there's the ability to look eye to eye, if it's the ability to have your body turn toward that child, like it is, I am, I am present and, um, I'm not screaming across the the house at them and it's not. And so, um, there's even just the, I mean, even those, if you think about the immediate and the direct, like there's really a sweetness in that. Yes. There's, yeah. there's really this, this opportunity to mm. immediate feedback. We all want immediate feedback, right? Yeah. Like if I'm honest, like, like, mm. you know, uh, you know, job reviews, right? Like you're trying to, you're guessing like, man, am I doing what right. I'm supposed to be doing? Like for a child, they're getting immediate feedback yeah. and that's happening. Man, that is great. Great job. Way to go. Or, Hey, you know, let's try that again. Let's, let's, you know, let's use that, you know, a uh, different tone or man, are you asking, are you telling, you know, all sorts of things. And so yeah. just the immediate and the direct being fully present with the child, you know, you're not, 
you're not on your cell phone, just kind of not there, mm-hmm. just screaming, hearing things, you're fully engaged. And I think that's both of those are really sweet. And those implicit that, messages. The, the immediate, oh, sorry, go ahead, JD. What? Those implicit messages that you're sending to your child about their importance and their their position in your life when another adult is halted for you to step over and to address them. Uh, I was sharing with y'all before we got on that we were just at a, a track meet. Any of, anybody who's been at an elementary school track meet, you know the chaos there. And uh, had one little one just, you know, she had had enough after you know, six hours of being there, bless her. And so uh, she was letting me know she was ready to go. And I think finally I am now at a point where I can just zone in with her and go, hey, listen, you can use your good words and ask me for that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Let's go. And so we, you know, went to the went to the car, got the drink that we needed, came back in, and we were good to go. And had I just lobbed in that moment, uh, not only am I missing out on that connection, but I'm also making things 10,000 times worse in the moment. And that's one of the things, and Tana, I'm not sure what you're about to say. The, the other thing about this is it's not just sweet to do this. It's more effective. Like it's actually the most, the, the, what, we've, what I've found to be the most effective manner in which to address behavior because there's no, there's no dishonesty around it. It's not, well, I thought this or I thought that, like you are, you are, ensuring there's attention it's within three seconds it's you know within three feet and you know body position like you're shooting at the like you're shooting a basketball like you are squared up at your target right and and using your eyes to to make eye contact when you can and um and so that's been it's been really uh really helpful even though it is often also really inconvenient at the time mm-hmm. i mean I, I like what you just said jd because to me, there's something so important for our that that you can't say with your words, but you show with your presence, and that's yeah, I'm that's here good. with you. And so it's so much about also nonverbal communication and body posturing and how you approach them and the way that you move your body and the way that you come towards them as you're getting proximity and the facial expressions that you make. And, you know, all of that is, is setting them up for either to escalate the situation or to de-escalate the situation. So if your kid is struggling and we'll talk in a few minutes about the levels of response, but you know, if there's a behavior that needs to be corrected even, you know, I, sometimes for me, as I'm moving towards the child for correction, I'm taking that action, that body moment where I'm moving to also calm myself down and and think, okay, now, you know, I've got to address this. So I'm going to take a few deep breaths as I walk. I'm going to, you know, get myself calmed down. Then I'm going to lower my body down and I'm going to look at the kid and I'm regulating myself as I move towards them in that immediate and with that, when I think immediate and direct. So I think it's also really important for us to come to go to them and to use the going to them Mm -hmm. to prepare ourselves to respond and not react. So immediate and direct is also helpful for us. 
right? Yes. Oh, everybody yes. needs time to fix their face. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Just just calm calm it down, yeah. um, which is really good. You know, I think we have older kids, you know, as well as as some young ones. And so even thinking about addressing, you know, behavior with, with older kids and teenagers, this is also just as important. Um, you know, if, if something's going on and your kids need that thing to be addressed, um, I, I do find myself oftentimes really tempted to ignore behavior because I know that it's going to create some, some hard moment of tension. Um, but, and and there are times that we do look, I I do think sometimes we need to let some things go with older kids. Like this is a, there's a lot of nuance here on how to address behavior with older kids and timing and setting that situation up for success. So, when I think about immediate, I do, I am thinking younger kids in that moment. But when I think about older kids, I do feel like it's important to say things left uncorrected is just like a cesspool of shame and all this stuff to fester guilt. And like when kids are doing things they don't need to be doing, they need their parents to address that with them because they need that repair that comes with addressing whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. So I do think three seconds with younger kids. And then I, I kind of reframe immediate to be with those older kids. Let's move forward to address that behavior or whatever's happened there as quick as we can, because we just don't need to let it fester. Mm-hmm. So that's my thought about immediate with older kids. Indirect, they also need full attention and calm you know, mom and dad to the best of our ability. Anyway. I think that's really helpful, especially for uh, those of us who may be heading into kind of the preteen teenage stages just to have that uh, in our minds, you know, um, that I think that's great. Uh, when it comes to efficient, I will just, I will just hand up from the jump, say, this is my absolute <laughs> worst, uh, worst letter in the acronym. Uh, I mean, it stands to reason that I am a, podcast host because my words have never been accused of being efficient uh, in life. And so uh, <laughs> that is one of my uh, one of my cardinal sins, as my kids would point out. It's just that like, I use a hundred words to, to say what it could be said in 10. Um, and so it's been a huge learning point for me. Uh, and, and watching Dr. Purvis again was really helpful just to remember there's a there's an efficiency and an economy, but also a power that comes in just using the words that you need to use uh, in, in short manner and letting it be here. Because also our, that way our kids aren't having so much to process as they're also dealing with probably the guilt. Most, most times when kids, especially as they're getting older, they do something wrong and they're kind of looking out of the corner of their eye to see if you caught it already before you even address it. So most times they already know that it's going on. And then at the sermon or the the, you know, monologue comes after it from mom or dad, that can be uh, way harder to then lock in to, to redirect. Well, think, think about that just even practically, JD, is just from a brain standpoint, and I know we've talked about it, but if they are not regulated yeah, and the, the 
you know, we talk about the amygdala, that baby gate that goes up to the, the logical yeah. brain. Like if it's closed and they, they can't process all those words. Right. And so it's not even working. Our, our, our sermons are all our great, <laughs> great, like, it's, wah, 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 wah. you know, it's Charlie Brown. Yeah. Like it doesn't even, it doesn't even mm-hmm. neurologically work. And mm-hmm. so, and, you know, she said, you know, so often parents are going after a mosquito with an elephant gun. I, you know, there's also that phrase, if, if, you know, the only tool you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. And I think that is so much mm-hmm. like, it's yeah. like, if all we are is big and all, you know, that's the mm-hmm. only way we can come in on everything. Uh, it, 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 it's mm-hmm. just going to escalate things with our children. If, mm-hmm. if we're coming in going 60 miles an hour and we are loud and we are strong and all those things, we are again, just going to escalate that in our children. And mm-hmm. I think when we talk about you know, just being efficient. It's, it's our levels of engagement. It's, you know, we, we talk about playful engagement and like so much can just be rerouted playfully. But again, yeah. if, if we're coming in strong, if we're coming in hot, <laughs> we're, we're not going to be able to redirect and you can redirect so much, especially with little ones, yeah. um, just through playful engagement. This by far was and still is in my mind like one of the major, major, major paradigm shifts for us when we started really parenting this way. Um, In in fact, for me, it felt hopeful and it felt like permission. I mean, when we came to, you know, learning this kind of parenting, uh, we've shared this before in other episodes, but maybe it bears saying in this one, like we found TBRI and Empowered to Connect Parenting when we were not in a great place as a family and with our kids, like we were not in a good spot. And it's because we had discipline tools that went straight for the elephant and that's all we did. That's all we knew to do. Yeah. And our community and every all the parenting books that we'd read and people that we had listened to and mentors that we had had, um, and and we ourselves sort of bought into the like nip it in the bud, come in strong, you know, because I said so, when I said so, with a happy heart, right now, you know, first time, you know, fast, quick obedience, compliance at all measures, and our family was not well. Our kids were not well. Mo and I were not well. Our marriage was not well. There was a lack of joy. Things were not adding up. Behavior was not being changed. And this levels of response that we could actually, I mean, it it seems crazy now to think back because it's so (laughs) natural to us. Yeah. But at the time, this to me felt like hope. Yeah. You mean that when my kiddo is being a kid, by the way, when they're being a child, when they are doing things children do, yes, when they are doing developmentally appropriate, inappropriate things, <laughs> right. I don't have to lose my mind. Yeah. Oh, I can respond and play. I have. I mean, I needed to like give myself permission to meet my children in a developmentally appropriate way 
to teach them the thing that we needed them to do instead of give them a consequence for being a kid. Yeah. Like this was major, major, major. Mm -hmm. And so the permission to adjust our discipline response to the thing at hand was like life to me. Mm -hmm. Um, It takes a lot of practice. There's a lot of nuance here. It doesn't come easy, but if you can go, Oh, okay. I can, I can adjust my behavior and meet my children where they are. It's everything. Yeah. Well, doc, you know, Dr. Purvis said it, the, the goal, you know, when she talked about the goals at the end of the interaction with your kids is child is more connected to me mm-hmm. and child uh, is more content because they've succeeded. And yep. like that, that none of that was going on in our home. There was, no. there was, oh, there no. was no, con- there was mm-hmm. no connection. There was no contentment. There was, uh, I mean, it was just, it was Mm -hmm. hard and it was really hard. I don't, we didn't particularly like ourselves as parents. I sure didn't like who I had become. Like Mm -hmm. I, I would go to bed at night feeling defeated and um, man, it was just, it was, we were in a hard, hard season. Mm -hmm. And so to begin to say, oh, if my kid again is doing something and I can respond to them with playful engagement. Like I can actually play my child through a moment of discipline. Um, that changed everything. everything. It yeah. changed everything. It changed mm-hmm. everything. Um, and, you know, Dr. Purvis talks about it, about what you can actually address through play. And, you know, so let's just, maybe we can run through the levels of engagement yeah. real quick, just yeah. by review, you know? So I'll kind of say them, and then if we want to talk yeah. about them a little bit more, we can. So level one is playful engagement. Um, level two is structured engagement. Level three is calming engagement. And level four is proactive engagement. And so you, as a parent, are, you know, it, and again, hear me, this takes practice. Um you assess the behavior and apply the efficient level of engagement based on the behavior that's being presented. You don't always have to start at playful. I mean, I, I think it's worth trying to see if some play, not, sac- not sarcasm, but some playful sure. engagement can correct the behavior. You always want to get back to play because when it's over, it's over, and it's not over till it's over. But when it's over, it's over, and you know it's over, and you know you're content <laughs> when you can get back to play. <laughs> And that is definitely over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you want to play. And it's over. But, it's but over. Yeah. I mean, that, when, when we, you know, we yeah. say that you need to be immediate, that means you can't let things fester because if it's not over, you haven't mm. dealt with the behavior. Yeah. But the playful engagement piece is really powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, approaching a kiddo um, with some gentleness and fun, mm-hmm. even... And, and, you know, it's it's about seeing behavior for what it is instead of applying. Um, I think we layer our kids' behavior with a lot of, um, like, intent. We think our kids mean something with their behavior that maybe isn't there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, seeing behavior as communication, seeing behavior as a lack of skills, a lack of ability to, to manage stressful situations, a lack of vocabulary or sensory overwhelm, like thinking about that there's a need behind 
that misbehavior, it gives you permission to say, maybe right now my kid could be managed through well, and some gentleness. JD, and your, your illustration, you know, you had a kid struggling at the track meet and y'all yeah. walked to the car and got something to drink. I mean, mm -hmm. we, again, when we talk yeah. about TBRI, the empowering, the connecting, the correcting, a lot of what's going on with kiddos is around empowering. You know, like yeah. they're tired. They didn't get enough sleep. They're hungry. They're mm -hmm. thirsty. And again, mm -hmm. when you think about just the empowering piece of this, like mm -hmm. for a for a parent to escalate and and be punitive because a child is struggling because of mm -hmm. they're hungry. Yeah. And, yeah. and are they thirsty or they're tired? Like, you know, it's... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. It's this, about seeing our kids for what's going on. Kids, right? Yeah. What's the need behind it? Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, JD? Sorry. Well, I'll tell you what it did for me was slowly over time, this has chipped away my parenting insecurities, right? Because uh, my, you know, one of my, my big fears as a parent is oh, man, my kids are, I'm just too nice. I'm just too, uh, I'm too easy on them. So, I'm, they're never going to see me as a disciplinarian. And I can, I had that in my head going into parenting. So I am, I've got the elephant gun out and I'm reloading it every night. I'm just ready for war every day. Like to, you will see me as the, and it was exactly what you guys were saying. Like it, I was going to bed feeling defeated and just feeling miserable at night. And, you know, and my wife saying, this is not how I envisioned you, I always thought you'd be the fun parent and I'd be the bad guy. And it's completely the opposite. And, uh, and what's, <laughs> what, what has happened now is, you know, now having tools and having levels and again, knowing that my ultimate goal, a, a huge thing for me was just remembering that when our kids like launch out of our care at some point into the world, <laughs> our goal is shared, like, that they're, they're able to problem solve in a way that they can be successful in life. And if that's my ultimate goal, I cannot teach them authoritarian rule as the meaning of life. So for us, like, especially with children of color, like I've got to teach them how to get their needs met, how to adjust, how to assess incoming needs and incoming danger as it's coming in and make sure they're ready to be able to make, to put themselves in the best position to succeed. Because if I teach them only to just, uh, you know, obey authoritarian rule, that's not always going to be the most successful route for them. And it's not going to help them to thrive as whole people. And so now knowing that, Again, having permission, like you said, to playfully redirect. Like I have this picture of our kids are driving and like that level one, that playful engagement is just, they're just veering closer to the line they should be. And it's just reaching over and just a real quick adjustment of the wheel. Like, oh, let me get you back on course. Instead of what I used to do, which is, that's it, stop the car, get out, <laughs> throw them across the car and then get back in. I'm driving myself now, you know, <laughs> which doesn't teach them how to drive. And so- uh, the, I think those levels are, are really, really powerful tools for us. All right. So now why don't we talk through the structured piece? Um, do you guys want to give us some, some light as to, you know, how that, how that works out in this ideal response? Sure. So, you know, that we kind of talked a bit about playful, like just the permission to sort of attempt to redirect playfully. Um, 
when we think about structured engagement, which would be like the second level of response under the E for efficient, that is when a behavior has gone beyond play and you need to sort of give some more directives. But, you know, it's not anything that's, um, the kid isn't really dysregulated and then maybe they've, I think Dr. Purvis liked to said like got a little mouthy or something like that, or you've given them an instruction and you can tell they're having a hard time doing it. So two strategies under the structured engagement are um, to ask the kiddo if they would like a compromise. And she kind of explained that, like, are you asking me for a compromise? And then give the child the ability to use their voice and say, can I have a compromise? Can I, you know, have five more minutes on the playground? Or can I, Um, You know, maybe for an older kiddo, if you were asking them to do a chore, they might say, can I have a compromise? And can I have, you know, finish the show before I unload the dishwasher or whatever? So if you hit a bit of resistance with the behavior, you can try a compromise or you can give kids two choices. Um, And when we teach choices, we we are really, um, it's very important for one of the choices to not be a consequence. You don't say, which is such a hard thing to relearn. (laughs) It's not do this or this consequence happens. It's two choices that move the child towards the desired behavior. So you could say, um, she talked about like a kiddo that's not, can't use markers, but could use crayons, or I think she said matte pencils or something. But you can do that in any situation at all. I mean, it could be, you know, you've got a kiddo and you need to leave the park and you say it's time to leave the park and they ask for a compromise and you can't give them more time. But you can say, sweetie, we need to get to the car. You have two choices. You can hold my hand and we can walk or I can carry you or, you know, you have two choices. You can skip to the car or I'll race you and you can be playful. But you're adding some structure into the moment that's helping them move forward and whatever is being asked of them. But you're giving them voice and you're giving them some problem solving and some shared power. So that's structured engagement. Um, I was going to say, yeah. like, you know, I think about our kiddos, like, it, it, we start off with the playful. We need them to clean up their dirty clothes off the floor. And sometimes yeah. we can say, hey, pick up your clothes and let's shoot them like basketballs. Let's shoot them in the dirty clothes. And sometimes they're on it. Like, yeah, let's see. Let's stand on our bed and throw our socks across the room and see if we can get them in there. Sometimes, no, they're not going to do it, right? And then at that point, playfuls, you know, that level one's not working. You move it to level two. Say, all right, guys, we, the goal is we got to get it clean. <laughs> and so then it's the two choices of, hey, I tell you what. You guys can pick up your clothes and go throw them in the dirty clothes basket or dad can help you. And maybe mm-hmm. we can see who can pick up the most. You can still kind of make it playful, make it a game, but mm-hmm. we're in there. And like I said, it's not, hey, clean up your clothes or, you know. You lose your iPad time before bed. <laughs> it's no threatening. No right. threatening. We're not we're, threatening. We're still, yeah. we're getting what needs to happen to happen. The clothes are yeah. being picked up, but we've given them two ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's adding some structure. I will say for some families, if this is a major paradigm shift and you're starting to give choices, you may have a sassy older kid say, or what? And I don't know why I know that that would happen, but just FYI, (laughs) that just might happen, you know, or what if consequences have been what you've normally gone to. And all you can say is, hey, honey, there is no or what. We're just going to get it done. Like there's not an or what here. We're going to figure this out together. 
And that's the collaborative problem solving piece. That's we need to, we need to accomplish this task. We need to do this thing and we're going to work together until we get that thing done. This isn't a mom and dad threatening you. This is Mm -hmm. so actually you're getting more compliance, but the kid isn't feeling, you know, challenged. You're not adversaries there, your collaborators, you're with them. Again, you're sort of saying we're in this together. So that's kind of the structured response. Then it may escalate or you may have come in and it's already escalated and that's calming engagement, which is when you need to, you know, co-regulate. And if you guys are listening to this episode and you haven't listened to our previous episodes, I would say go back and find our episodes on co-regulation that sits right here in this calming engagement section. Like it is about helping your child calm down and you do that with them and you do that together. So I won't expand a ton on that. You can zip back to some of our previous episodes on what does it mean to really co-regulate, but that's what's happening right here. That can be with movement, food, water, hydration, but you're offering them yourself to help them calm down, then get them back on track, accomplish whatever it was that you were asking them to do and get the thing done. And then really quickly, the next level is proactive engagement. And as Dr. Purvis said, that's whenever you're sensing that there could be, you know, some violence or there's the the threat of somebody possibly hurting themselves, you know, whether they're acting out pretty big with their body. Um, And you need to remove the kid from the situation, get the other people safe. Um, Here at Empowered to Connect, like we don't train on how to handle that level four, but for some families, you do need to go get special training on how to actually manage that proactive engagement in a way that keeps you and your kids safe. Um, So anyway, that's the levels of engagement. Again, the goal there is to be efficient, to not come in with a heavy, heavy hand Um, You want to use the lowest level of engagement possible to get the kid back on track and move them forward through that corrective moment. And when it comes to, before we move to action-based, for families who are going, oh my gosh, I I need, I need to know where I can get trained. What, what are families looking for and what's the category of training they're going to be looking for if they're fearful they might need that level? Yeah. You know what, Jay, we can link a few things in the show notes of some places that they could go and maybe look up some of that training. So I'd be happy to do that in the show notes on our website. We'll put a few links in there where they can go and get some of that. It's really about de-escalation. Yeah. And um, I'll I'll just say this, any of the trainings that are sort of approved through social workers or, you know, your Department of Children's Services, like for those that are foster and adoptive parents, like... Every single one of those approved strategies for the proactive engagement all all start with verbal de-escalation. So it's always about how to calm your children down verbally first, which really fits well within a lot of what we've talked about in the prior episodes about that co-regulation piece. Yeah. How do you help calm their brains and bodies down in order to move forward? So we'll put a few links in the show notes. Great. So moving on to action-based, one of the, one of the most helpful paradigms for our family is just, again, knowing the kind of the science behind uh, why do we do 
redos and why do we redirect and why do we get that practice in uh, as opposed to uh, having consequences. And I know that yeah, there have been those uh, over at our house who have seen a redo and they're just wide-eyed, like that kid got away with that? And we had to explain that absolutely did not get away with it. What just happened is that we helped them to know what was wrong why it was wrong and how to do what's right next time. And they created a positive neuropathway built around being praised for doing what was right in the moment. And so uh, it's something that was really helpful for us and, and has, as we've gotten better into practice over the last seven, eight years, like has really, really helped us um, in our parenting. Well, this is, you know, I, I grew up uh, playing tennis you know, I played tennis in college and all those sorts of things. And I used to have a coach that, uh, you know, we'd come out for practice and maybe we're tired or we're sloppy or footwork's terrible. And, you know, there's that old adage, you know, practice makes perfect. And he used to say, no, it doesn't. Like if you're being sloppy, if like these are bad habits and all you're doing is like, he goes, perfect practice is what makes perfect, you know, like so yeah. he was always a stickler for the details and those things. And I'm not saying kids need to be perfect. I'm not right. saying parents need right. to be perfect. But but the point that he was trying to make, it goes with the motor memory, right? It goes like he he wants your our bodies, he wants our minds to understand this is how I do it. And so in that same regard, if if we are if we are teaching our children, we're we are training them, you know, it, it, it's, um, we're, we want them to know how to do it. And to think about all I'm asking them to do is stop doing that, but I'm not, they don't know their body doesn't, they don't feel it in their body. They don't understand yeah. how I'm supposed to do it. Like in mm. some regards, when you step back from that and think I've never, taught a child how to do that. I've only told them I didn't want them <laughs> right. to do it. It's right. really kind of mind boggling that we get upset with that. Like yeah. children yeah. need to know how to do something and they need to know how to do it properly and correctly. Mm-hmm. And, and so we want them to know what it's like um, to do the things we want them to do. And so uh, let their bodies feel that, their minds comprehend that. And so sometimes that means reduce. And so sometimes there's little reduce, sometimes there's big reduce. Um, I mean, you know, we've, we've had um, situations where, I'll just say big reduce, where we've, we've struggled in a store or we've, you know, had the, you know, just a hard situation happen. And I mean, I have, we've walked out, I've walked out to the bar with a child and, you know, we've, you know, driven around and come back to the store and said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to actually redo this whole thing. And we're going to walk into the store. We're going to go to where maybe the meltdown happened on the toy aisle. And we're going to, you know, they're going to ask for this big thing and daddy's going to have to say no. And like, he's going to have to, you know, he's calmed at that point. I've got him regulated and we're going in and we're working on this. And he's going to, he's going to practice being able to accept mm-hmm. the no of not being able to buy that hundred dollar toy instead of melting down and falling apart. But if all it is, is, 
if all I left my child with was him falling apart, pitching a fit, me picking him up, we walk out of the store with him screaming and hitting and whatever. The next time we go into the store and that child is asking for something, have I equipped them to handle a yes or no? Like, no, like all I've done is gotten out of the situation because I was embarrassed and I don't want people looking at me. And I've got my child, again, my goal is to equip my child. And so um, if, if I don't equip them, all they know is to pitch a fit and get mad when things don't go their way. And so mm-hmm. there are times, and, and, you know, that's kind of a bigger redo, meaning, you know, I had the time, I was able to go back. Right. Um, One of the things I'll say about that situation is, you know, we talk a lot about kids do well when they can. And let's just use that store example. If you've got a kiddo that's been told no, and they... Um, have a meltdown or they struggle to receive no, you know, I want to just advocate for that kid for a second. If the child had the will of tolerance or the capacity, emotional capacity for whatever reason to receive no, they would have. Yeah. They heard no and they, it was hard for them for some reason. There are a myriad of reasons why it might've been hard, but if your kid can receive no, they would have received no. So there's a reason why in that, that moment they're overwhelmed with that. There, there, there's so many things that could be going on. You as a detective parent can figure that out. Mm-hmm. But the action-based gives you the opportunity to support development and helping them figure out, like grow their tolerance to receive no by coming back and role-playing that through again. Yeah. Redoing that situation with encouragement and compassion and understanding and empathy, buddy, I know that you want that. And you know what? It's hard for me not to get what I want to. Like I struggle when I don't get what I want. Like not getting what you want is hard. Let's come up with a plan. You know, like there's so many ways you could support a kiddo that is having a hard time rather than, again, thinking that they're just doing it to pitch a fit I mean, even if they are, even if they're trying to pitch a fit to get what they want, well, they're still trying a strategy and they need your help because that strategy isn't right. Like, again, they need to learn a better way of getting their desires met. So it's about saying, if my kid could handle this moment, they would. They're having a hard time. What do they need from me? Mm -hmm. Um, So the action-based, it will get into their... Um, long-term memory in a way that you want it to, (laughs) like, you know, they're going to go, there's going to be like praise for doing it right. And buddy, I knew that you could receive that. No. And I am so proud of you. And you get to leave content and connected and proud of one another that you made it through target the second time around and they didn't walk out with the toy that they wanted. You don't give in. It's not about giving in. It's about supporting them when they're struggling. Well, and I I think the aha moment for me, again, it goes back to the brain science. And Dr. Purvis's illustration was, you know, the bad behavior is a five-lane or eight-lane interstate. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And 
the what what the good behaviors this little you know overgrown jungle field and you're having to machete your way through it yeah. and you know she says uh you know it's going to take time but that little pathway is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and A repetition. it just takes repetition it takes and so in that illustration you know i think when you think about just the brain you're helping that child take that little pathway and we're going to make it a little wider and a little wider and a little wider. Mm-hmm. And, um, you are molding and shaping that child's brain and, yeah. and what they're able to do and accomplish. Well, and I, I, before we move to the, to the L, the thing that I love that this does is we are teaching behavior. Ah. We're also building trust and connection so that the, you know, in, we hope and, and what we're starting to see, uh, at least in our family, you know, the further we go with this, um, the better we are preparing them to make their own decisions, but they're also learning they can trust us to help them correct and redirect uh, in moments where they're struggling. And so um, definitely huge, huge, huge. So uh, last, we are, we are giving them stuff that is leveled at the behavior. So we are uh, talking about things being leveled at the behavior. And obviously the, the, the goal um, she talked about this and I, and I just, I need this framed in my, you know, in my bathroom mirror. Just our goal is that we're going to be, uh, have the behavior corrected. We're going to end up more connected with that child, uh, and, and we're going to be content. Um, and so let's talk through that now. Yeah. I mean, uh, we all make mistakes and I think we're human. Yeah, like just letting our kids be human beings and not expecting perfection out of them or perfection out of us and and running a family with the idea that um, we're going to work together and you're not a bad kid, no matter. I mean, look, even if you've got a kid that gets to level four often, you know, if we think yeah. back to that pro, if you're, if you've got a kiddo that needs proactive engagement a lot, um, they don't need to feel like they're a bad person. You know, that it is about supporting them, even when you've got to repair and, and get back to play after pretty significant meltdowns. Yeah. And, and this is not, this does not just happen. Like we have got to be super intentional about our words and our nonverbal communication and our tone and our ability to get back connected and play is what sends those messages about who they are as a person mm-hmm. and keeping that behavior separate from like their preciousness, their goodness, yeah. you know, their like we, we want our kids to feel cherished and loved and celebrated not shamed for struggling. And this is very nuancy and super individual. Like this Mm -hmm. is a, this is about us being like really, really mindful of our, um, you know, how often we sigh at them, how often we scour or frown or shrug our shoulders or like all those nonverbal communications yeah. Mm-hmm. can really send the message that 
um, to our kids inadvertently about how we feel about who they are as people mm-hmm. and who we, who they are as humans. Yeah. Um, if you are parenting a, a child that has experienced, you know, adversity or trauma or neglect, like they're going to have a shame core that's, you know, pr- pretty deep and wide, and they just don't need us as parents and caregivers yeah. adding any kindling to the fire. And, it, and that shame core takes them to, they, it is, it's at their, it's, it's about their personhood. Yeah. It's, it's about right. them. It's, it's, um, it's not my behavior's bad. I'm bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and they can go there real quick. And so we have to be super mindful yeah. on this one. I mean, it can even be things like just a lot of reminders of like, Hey, I mean, really gentle. Hey, sweetie, we all make mistakes, babe. Like we're, you know, in modeling our own mistakes. Like this, this comes through um, hear, them hearing us apologize and them hearing us take responsibility and us not feeling like we need to be perfect and us having the opportunity to redo something. And, you know, there's lots and lots of different ways that you can help them see that it's not about who they are. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this, you know, this also is that from a very practical place, like another place to leave the elephant gun at home <laughs> and, yeah. and to remember uh, that, yeah, communicating that, that uh, what you're addressing is behavior and not the child uh, is is huge and of great importance. Um, guys, thank y'all. <laughs> this is, you know, I, I, I need this reminder myself tonight. I kind of needed to be, uh, to walk through this together uh, tonight. And so this has been really, really great. Appreciate it. Oh, you're yeah. welcome. Same. It's always good to be reminded for us too. We're still in it. <laughs> we still have the children in the house. <laughs> so yeah, awesome. thanks. Thanks, JD. Yep. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Uh, we all talked separately afterward. Uh, just the need for the reminder every now and then uh, that we just need to be reminded of uh, why we're doing what we're doing and some of the just the basic principles behind um, this way of parenting. And so uh, I know for me that I, I needed to hear <laughs> to be immediate, direct, efficient, uh, action-based, and uh, level to behavior. And uh, and that those principles have been at work in this home today. And so uh, I hope for you as well, they were helpful. Uh, I hope that you're able to get some good notes and to go back and listen to that. Um, We have linked Dr. Purvis's video. Uh, It's it's on our Empowered to Connect YouTube page. We've linked it in the show notes. So if you want to go back and watch uh, Dr. Purvis's portion, we've linked it there below. And uh, we'd love to know your thoughts on this episode and any episode. Uh, Coming up next week, we've got a very special guest. Author Michelle Borba joins us. Um, She's the author of a book called Thrivers. And um, man, you're going to really, really enjoy uh, getting to hear from her. Uh, It's going to be a great, great episode. So you don't want to miss that next Tuesday uh, for Kyle Wright, for Tad Jewett, who created our music, for everyone at ETC, uh, Mo and Tana Ottinger, and myself. We will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.